the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights. Happy Sunday night. Praise the Lord. We love doing this. Thank you for tuning in. It's always a blessing to actually do the study and to figure out, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? And it, it's neat. We're not like everybody else. We don't try to hit all the interesting, all of the highlight, the popular stuff. Today, we're going to talk about doing the work and doing the work of the kingdom, doing the works that Jesus told us to do. It's not a very glamorous subject, but it's so important. And as I studied it out, I go, wow, man, it is really important. It is high on God's priority list. I went to Lakewood for the longest time, and we had a lady there. She was in charge of the prayer group. Her name was Barbara Guthrie, great, great lady. And as a prayer partner, she'd always tell us, you're on the job. You're on the job. You're not chewing gum. You're not having conversations. You're on the job. Get to work. And she's probably still there doing it today, knowing Barbara. But that always stuck with me, and that instilled in me, even in my daily, my um, roofing company, you're on the job. There's a standard. You're on the job. There's a an excellence that you're supposed to be associated with as a child of God. And so I want to talk about that today because it's important. You know, I think you know it is a constant theme in the New Testament, you know, one that doesn't get much attention, one that gets overlooked in our constant pursuit of the glory of God or the miracles or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, personal fame or accomplishment, but it's works. And it's so important. We in the body of Christ, we're supposed to be working. We are on divine assignment from God, and that's our calling. And when we look further into the lesson, it's almost, and I don't want to exaggerate this, but we are sent, and I'll get to that in a minute. But when was the last time you heard a sermon on working? When was the last time, or if ever, did you hear a sermon where somebody talked to you about working in the kingdom of God? So many things get in the way. False doctrines about grace hinder us. We misunderstand the fact that, well, if we're working, we're trying to earn our salvation. This has nothing to do with that. Remember, James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. It's not that we're working our way into heaven. We're just as a natural, what's the word, result of me being a child of God. I've got work to do, and we're going to do it. False teachings, where we think that the, we're the bride of Christ, we don't have to work. We're just working to prepare ourselves for a future relationship with God as his bride. Well, that's false, and that holds us back. Misunderstanding about our callings and our anointings distract us from the basic premise of working for God. If we would focus on the assignments, focus on the works that we're supposed to be doing, I believe it would help us to know God better. I want to give you a couple of scriptures. They're really eye-opening when you see them. Ephesians four eleven and 12, you know that, for he gave some apostles and some 
prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So one of the reasons God gives us, a huge reason, almost the primary reason God gives us apostles and prophets and evangelists, uh, pastors and teachers, is for the perfecting of the saints, the teaching of the saints, the training of the saints, for the purpose of getting to work in the ministry. It's why they come to our churches. That's why if you're not having these people come to your church, all of them, then the people in the congregation, us, we're not being perfected. We're not being matured. In a sense, we're being apprenticed to them to do what they're doing. We're supposed to be working the ministry. Paul writes in, oh, where was it? It might have been, oh, I forget. It might have been Corinthians, where he talks about the fact that some of you, oh, no, it's Hebrews. Some of you ought to be teachers by now. And that's what this is referencing. They come to our churches, the prophet, the evangelist, the apostle. We have the pastor teacher there all the time. But they are training us so that we can do what they're doing. And it's not just doing the high glory jobs that they're doing, but it's doing the small tasks, the minutia. I know when I was teaching at Lakewood, we would uh, often, part of my assignment was to clean up the floor in the room after the kids' church had been in there. And nobody told me to do it. It was just something we knew to do. That's, you know, it may seem a menial task, but let, let me share this. When we were at Lakewood, and they just moved into the big building, and it was filled to the rafters. I mean, there was people everywhere. It was an awesome experience, and they needed more people for the offering to be an usher. And I was a prayer partner. I was the head of the uh, volunteer marriage ministry. I was the director there. We would get lessons ready. We would assign counseling sessions. We would do a whole lot of stuff there. It was a nice position. I loved it. And yet they needed an usher that day. And so I took on the task of being an usher. And it was neat. I was up in the back. They could have given me light bulbs. I was that high. I could have changed them out. But we were up in the back there, my wife and I, and you couldn't go any higher. And it came time for the offering. And I will never forget the anointing upon me to receive that offering. It is one of the most intimate experiences I have ever had in my relationship with Christ. The The presence of God was so rich as I was walking up and down those aisles way up there, receiving the love gifts, receiving the tithe and the offerings from the saints in those sections. I was just astounded. And I believe God was just ministering to me that there is nothing done in the kingdom of God that doesn't have its reward. There is nothing done in the kingdom of God that doesn't put you into close intimacy with God. My reward was his presence that day. It was a very special time for me, and it just opened my eyes. I remember sitting there the rest of the service just thinking what an awesome experience, what an awesome privilege it was that I was allowed to go up there, up and down those aisles, and receive that offering from the people. It really was it was life-changing for me. I loved it. So for the perfecting of the saints, the people that visit our churches, they are perfecting us, they are growing us, they are training us to do the works, to do the work of the ministry. That's the reason we had all of these people coming. We are to become mature in those assignments. We are apprenticed to them, as it were. That means that just like them, we have the same responsibilities they do. Basically, it's the body regenerating itself to ensure that the job of discipleship and soul winning gets done. It's not a glorious assignment for some. Like I said, I'm picking cookie crumbs off the carpet. We start low, though. We work our way up, and perhaps God will bring us into new ministry opportunities. I remember my current pastor, Jack C. Pigeon, talking about he started doing in the sound booth, and then he went greeting people, and then he went to uh, children's church. I mean, he did it all, and here he is today, 18, 22 years later. He's the pastor of the church. God bless him. Hallelujah. 
the foundation to this work is always the Word of God. When you're being trained, you're being trained by the Word of God. It's actually the Word of God that trains you. And it demands a constant study of the Word. You must be in the Word of God. If you're going to do the work of God properly, if you're going to become mature in doing the works that God's called you to do, you must have an intimate relationship in the Word of God. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, one of my all-time favorite scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, unto every good work. I love this. All scripture is God-breathed. It's given by inspiration from God, and it's profitable. One day you're doing nothing, you really need to go through your life and just make a list. Uh, on the left side, things that are profitable for me. On the right side, things that are unprofitable in my life. It will be life-changing. Your eyes will be open. But going back to the scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for your doctrine. Okay, my do's and my don'ts in my life, my doctrines, the understanding I have about the role of me as a saint in the body of Christ, those doctrines, it's profitable for doctrine. And what I love about it is it's profitable for reproof. The word of God will proofread me. When we were growing up, we didn't have computers like spell check and stuff like that. But the word of God will do that. The word of God will not only proofread you, but look at this. For correction, the Word of God will make those corrections in your life. It's like a spiritual spell check. And then, of course, for instruction in righteousness, God wants me to to be built up, to be constructed in a holy temple, a uh, right-minded saint for the work of the kingdom, for the man of God to be made perfect, thoroughly furnished, and to all good works. So look at this. I love these two scriptures. The first scripture we talked about in Ephesians 4, it talks about that God sends the prophet, the teacher, the evangelist, the pastor, and the apostle to train us to be good workers for the kingdom. And then he also has an inherent value within the word of God to make sure that we are grown into perfect people, mature people, that we can be furnished unto every good work. So that's the reason for the fivefold ministry. It's also a big reason for the word of God. God gave us the word so that it would be profitable to us. And why does God wish us to profit by the word? Because he wants to be established in these good works. You know, I know we probably would much rather pursue the glory of God, but you got to understand that the glory of God is a byproduct of the good works. When you go to work for God, the glory will come. You know, it's wonderful, ladies, to think about yourselves as the bride of Christ and everything, but that's a distraction. You need to get in the word of God and understand that God has not called you to be something down the road. He's called you to do something today. You need to be focused on today. That's why it's important that you get in the Bible, you understand your part, and you dedicate your life to service for God, whereby you're bearing much fruit for the kingdom of God, and that fruit remaining. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Do you see that? We are his workmanship. God has created us. He's built us into a holy temple. He's actually built us into a one single organism, the body of Christ, whereby we are doing the things that he's called us to do, good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God knew from the foundation of the earth that he was going to use his body to do the good works on the earth. It's so important. And I love it because if God was here today, this is what he would be doing. He would be doing the good works. Hey, newsflash, God is here today. He's here in his church, the body of Christ. We ought to be doing these good works. The Living Bible, let me read that to you in the Living Bible. It is God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives for Christ. Why? That he planned we should spend these lives in helping others. 
Your good works, they're designed to help others. That's it. Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. What a perfect example. And it's it's upon us to recognize the fact that he's our model. You know, good works, I don't know, your good works are probably similar to mine. Okay, me teaching is a good work, but just like me ushering or me picking crumbs up, that's a good work. They're all part of God's plan to win the lost. They're all part of God's plan to seal us together, to get us together in the body of Christ, that we are single-minded. Hebrews 10.24, And let us consider one another to provoke one another unto love and to good works. That means I'm supposed to encourage you. You're supposed to encourage me. Because you love me, because you love God, because you love others, that our good works have a place in our lives, and we're to encourage one another into those good works. I love to train leaders, and I don't sit them down in the class and open up this kind of book and get them to um, become a leader. I don't teach them how to be a good leader. I just bring them under my wing, as it were, and we work together. And it's neat because you'll discover people's callings as you assign them jobs and tasks. Or some people, you don't even have to tell them what to do. I've got a couple of friends right now in my life. They're just a wonderful encouragement to me. They came from another church. Now they're in our church. They're attending every Bible study. They're attending every prayer meeting. These people are full of the Word of God. They spend all their time studying the Word of God. And I don't know what the future holds for them, but they've got a great future ahead of them in service to the Lord. But they're doing it by working for the kingdom of God. And, I mean, they they come over to my house and Emma cleans my dishes for me. And, you know, Cameron's over there constantly filling us up with the Word, constantly sending us videos to watch and talking about the Word of God and just encouraging us. And it's just a wonderful time right now. I'm really having a, a blessed time getting to know God better through the service of others. And I'm going to give you that in the scripture in a minute. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 2. This know also that in the last days perilous times will come for men shall be lovers of them own self. I put that in there because I want you to understand that a lot of people, yeah, fasting, for instance, fasting can be a good work, but we also have the wrong motivation lots of times in our fasting. And I want to show you how Jesus used fasting for the purpose to serve others in good works. That scripture is over in, I think it's in Matthew, Matthew nine twenty nine. Jesus was on the job, as he always was, and Jesus was working. And he said unto them, uh, where is it? This kind, he was casting out a devil. And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and by fasting. And they were asking him, how come we couldn't cast out that devil? And Jesus plainly told him, he says, you're not fasting. You're not fasting for the right reasons. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus prayed and he fasted for others. He was in total agreement with God's plan for good works found in Isaiah 58, 5 through 7. And this is awesome. This is probably the crux of the lesson right here. Uh, this is God speaking through Isaiah, and he's talking about fasting, and it's totally different than what we think of it is. You know, lots of times we fast for the sake of uh, becoming more spiritual. We want to hear God better. We need some type of breakthrough in our lives. Maybe we just want to lose a few pounds, but we're fasting for ourselves. And in Isaiah 58, check this out. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, says the Lord, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? 
God is pointing us out uh, right here that he doesn't care about the mourning and the open sacrifices, the public display, and the show of spirituality we make when we fast for ourselves. That, that's not what he's about. That's not what he's called us to do. He says the real reason for fasting, do you want to know it? It's always about service to others. It's always about good works, doing the works of God. And here in Isaiah 58, verse 6, he's going to tell us what fasting should produce. He's going to define for you the good works, the fruit of fasting. Is not this the fast that I have chosen, saith the Lord, to loose the bands of wickedness? There's a good work right there. You are fasting to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens. There you go again, another good work. You are fasting to loose the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free. These are good works. And in this case, the fasting is required for you to have a successful mission when you do this stuff. Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? These are spiritual aspects, spiritual works that you're supposed to be engaging in, and you rely upon the fasting aspect for your spiritual strength. Is it not to give your bread to the hungry, that you bring the poor that are cast out to your home, when you see the naked, that you clothe him, and that you do not hide yourself from your own family when they're in need? You have a wonderful list right there of eight types of works that you can do, and Jesus associates all of those with fasting. So the point there being, if you need the spiritual energy, if you lack the will, if you lack the power, perhaps, to engage in this type of ministry of works, do some fasting. You know, draw closer to God. And remember, it's all about serving others. Did you ever read the book of Revelation and the seven letters to the seven churches, chapters two and three in Revelation? In the book of Revelation, you got to notice that the theme of judgment expressed by Jesus to the seven churches, this theme for judgment, it wasn't based on how much glory fell into their church. It wasn't based on church growth. It didn't matter how many saints came to church. It's not even based on the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their churches. Jesus talked about the judgment and it was always going to be based on works. Remember, every single church, all seven of them, he began by, I know their works. I know their works. I know their works. I know their works. That's what he was telling them. I know what you're doing. And that was how he looked at them when they needed the things that they were lacking. He would fulfill it. Uh, when they needed chastisement, he would give it to them. But it was all based on their works. And we need to have that mindset today. Works are important for the kingdom of God. They're important to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus thought good works were so important that he made sure each church knew that he was aware of what they were doing. Not only was he aware of what they were doing in regards to the good works, but he was telling them they were going to receive judgment based on those good works and how they perform them. The church, I think, is suffering today in part because we've left off the good works aspect of our Christianity. We have been deceived into doing our works without the Holy Spirit of God. We have substituted programs for the Holy Spirit. Our good works should always be a product of sincere hearts led by this Holy Spirit and done in obedience to God's leading Sure, you're going to have fivefold manifestations of these works. Obviously, you feed somebody. That's something that you can physically touch. Obviously, you give somebody some money. That's something that you can see. There, You're using the assets that we have in this earth today to help somebody with their groceries, perhaps. But at the end of the day, they always have the good of others at heart. And their motivation, your motivation of these good works, is to never take the glory for yourself. That's so important. Titus 2.14, the Holman translation, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people 
of his own possession, eager to do good works. You know, uh, the King James reads it this way. You're supposed to be zealous for good works. I enjoy helping people out. I don't have to be in a ministry of helps to show the good works. You can be a pastor. You can be an evangelist. You can be the leading prophet in the nation. You are still required by God for the ministry of good works. First Peter 2, verse 12. Having your way of life honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let me break that down for you. It's a great scripture. Uh, look at this. The power in the fruit of doing good works. You bring glory to God when you do good works. But what I love about this here is that we're waiting for God to shower us with his glory. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You give me the glory. Part of our problem when we do things, we want people to see it. We want people to know, look what I did. And that's when you're stealing the glory. The glory for your good works belongs to God. But I love the scripture there because it's talking about that your good works is a witness for the kingdom of God. And that's what it's all about, right? It's about winning the lost. It's about discipling those that come into the kingdom. That scripture references the truth that when people observe the good works that you do, when it's time for Father God to visit them, when it's time for Father God to call them, they will remember what you did. They will have a good mindset about the kingdom of God. They'll want to be like you. And they will accept that call to surrender to Christ. Why? All because of your good works. You know, you don't need to be knocking down doors witnessing for the kingdom of God. All you need to do is do what God's told you to do. Help feed your neighbor. Go ahead and cut his yard when he's sick and he can't get out after work. Pick up his kid from school. Go ahead and pay his rent. Do whatever you can do as a Christian. Do the stuff that God would do. I don't know what good works in your life are going to look like. There's very good chance they're going to look like good works in my life. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's going to be similar. But please... Don't worry about doing the less glamorous job of the good works. You may think no one sees what you do. But obviously, as in that scripture in Peter just talked about, people do see what you do. And God uses that as a witness to them. So when he visits them in the time of their visitation, they will respond. I love it. You know, it's just as powerful as any evangelical message. You doing the good works to others in the right spirit. No evangelist has anything on you. You have a daily life in front of other people. They are watching you. They want to know what you got. And you open the door by doing good works to them. It's so important. Hallelujah. So I would encourage you guys, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's get to work. We've got this work to do. You know, Jesus said in John 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Then look at this, Jesus. So if Jesus is working, we can work, right? It doesn't matter whether you're cleaning fish, whether you're cutting grass, whether you're giving money, whatever. If Jesus can work, you can work. But look at this here. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus didn't work his own works. He works the works of him that sent me. Who sent Jesus? God sent Jesus. He was doing the works of God. The things that Jesus was doing, he was doing as God wanted him to do. Jesus did them, and now he's sending you out to do those same works. You are literally working for God. But what I love about it is you're working for God the way he would work if he was in the earth. You've got to get that. That's your Christian witness. That's your power. They weren't Jesus' works. They were the works of God. This is what God would do if he was here. God sent Jesus to do these works. 
Jesus sent you to do these works. Literally, we are sent ones. I think that's the same word they use for apostle. I think apostle is sent one. But in the ministry of works, we are sent ones. We do have an almost apostolic calling to do these works. I love it. I love it. Don't ever think you're not special in the kingdom of God. You are. God needs you. The body needs you. Your neighbor needs you to do the works of the kingdom because they are watching you and you make it easier for God to minister when he's drawing them into his kingdom and they're remembering the things and how you treated them and how you loved them and how you gave the glory to God. That is what softens their heart. You know, we often wait for God to soften people's hearts so that they would receive him. We play a role in that. And by doing the works that God's called us to do, we are actually creating in them a hunger. We are creating in them a desire. We were breaking down middle walls of partition that would keep them from knowing Christ intimately. So like I said, get to work, roll up your sleeves. We've got a great calling ahead of us. It's a great time to be a Christian today. I believe this is our best time right now to be alive. We love you. We'll see you next week. I'm Ron Geyer. These are End Time Insights. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.